Say, thank you, Lord. Speak to me today. Amen. A few Sundays ago, I did a teaching called The Blood of Jesus, Does It Still Matter? And I realized as I was teaching it that really I was just scratching the surface. And so I wanted to spend a little bit more time on that, especially also it fits very well in with the Christmas message of the incarnation. And, and so I said that some people suggest that we don't talk a lot about the blood of Jesus. And some say it's because people in our society... Uh, they are not accustomed to blood sacrifices. It was different when people came from more traditional religious settings where they would sacrifice a goat or a chicken, you know, and, and, and so then they heard the news that Jesus Christ has become the ultimate sacrifice, and, and it would make sense in that culture more. Now, I realize that most of you don't sacrifice a goat before you go on the subway here in Toronto to kind of make it for the day, but you see, as we go through this today, you will see that there is a very profound and powerful meaning for us today in the story and the reality of the blood of Jesus Christ. And, uh, uh, you know, the blood that flowed through Jesus' body. And remember when I talk about this, uh, uh, we are speaking of powerful symbolism. We're talking about things that are metaphorical, but yet powerful So, for example, we talked about last time that the blood of Jesus speaks today. It says that the blood of Jesus speaks of better things than Abel's blood. Abel was the first murder victim in the Bible. And so, it says his blood speaks. Of course, we understand that's metaphorical. It doesn't mean that Abel's blood still has vocal cords any more than Jesus' blood has vocal cords to speak. So we understand these things are symbolic, but they don't lose their power in that. And so the blood of Abel speaks of vengeance, of injustice, but Jesus' blood speaks of justice, that God makes everything all right for everyone, and we can believe that and receive that. Then we talked about last time, the blood of Christ puts an end to human effort to gain God's favor. All this endless seeking of trying to impress a God who is supposed to be displeased, that ends because Jesus' blood is the final sacrifice and we have access to God through the blood of Jesus. Then I talked about last time that the blood of Jesus Christ is the foundation for a good life, just to have a good life. Uh, the, the, the writings of Paul says to be complete as a person, to be full of good work, to know God's will. But he says all that is founded upon understanding the blood of the everlasting covenant. And I talked about how once we understand what Jesus Christ has done for us by his death and resurrection, we become much smarter in life. We, we see ourselves and others differently. We're able to make better decisions, decisions that are not tainted with shame and guilt and regret, but decisions that are filled with hope and aspiration and dreams for the future. And so this is very important. Then we talked about that the blood matters because it has power. We sang about it here now. There's power in the blood of Jesus. And, and so wherein lies that power? You know, when the Bible talks about the devil, it makes a specific reference 
that the devil accuses us. The devil is the evil power that accuses us. And how, does, uh, how do you get accused? By being reminded of things, usually failures, usually mistakes, sins, and things that happened in your past. They are brought out to remind you and to haunt you and to feel less than you really are. But when Jesus Christ shed his blood and by his death, He took every handwriting of requirement that was against us. He took every bit of shame and guilt and it was nailed to the cross. The way the Apostle Paul says it, the devil was disarmed. He has no more bullets in his pistol. He may be pulling the trigger, but nothing happens because the bullets are gone. That's the power of the blood of Jesus, uh, that the devil has nothing to accuse you of. That's, That's powerful. Now let's read some more uh, verses here that I want to base this teaching on. Hebrews 2.14 says, As the children, that's us, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And so he says, we are the children, we are created in the image of God, And we have flesh and blood. You know, God doesn't have flesh and blood. God is a spirit. Even when the Bible says, you know, at his right hand is pleasures forevermore. It's not talking about God's physical right hand. It's talking about God as a spirit. But it is expressed in metaphorical ways so that we understand it. It doesn't mean that God is impersonal. We're not talking about a pantheistic God who is impersonal. No, God is very personal. God feels with you. God empathizes with you. God is compassionate towards you. Can somebody say yes to that? That's beautiful. Very personal emotions attached to God. But the the beauty of the incarnation is that the unlimited God, the God who is over everything and before everything, came in limited human flesh. He became a partaker of flesh and blood just like we are. That's the marvel. That's what's called the the, the mystery of godliness. That's what happened that goes beyond explanation. God became a partaker of flesh and blood with us. Let me read more. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 says, verse 18, You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believed in God, who raised him from the dead. But what does it say here? It says, first of all, that the blood of Jesus is precious. Precious means rare, one of a kind. God ordained that cleansing for the world's sins for the whole world, would be through the blood that flowed through Jesus' veins. And healing for the world would be by the stripes of Jesus, with stripes being, meaning there's something cut in the skin that causes blood to flow, and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus' blood was sinless blood. He was tempted in all things as we are, but he did not sin. You know, there's a picture 
in, in the Exodus story where they took a lamb without spot and blemish. And that lamb had to be inspected for four days from the 10th to the 14th day to see that it was a spotless lamb. Well, Jesus was inspected for 33 and a half years. And after 33 and a half years, Pontius Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Even Judas who betrayed Jesus said, I have betrayed innocent blood. I have betrayed uncommon blood, rare blood, precious blood. It's not like any other human blood. That It's special because Jesus was without sin. And so that's why it says in Hebrews, don't ever count the blood of Jesus a common thing. Don't say it's common. No, because he did not sin. He was not, he, he, he did not yield to every temptation that came at him. There's never been a human. The first Adam, we know that. The first Adam, he disobeyed. He failed. He didn't hold on. And every human since that time has suffered the same fate. But there's one called the last Adam, and he never failed. He never failed. That's why his blood is shed for the remission of sins. Oh, for you and I and for everyone. Can we give Jesus big praise for that? Then it says here, we were not redeemed with corruptible things. And it says in other places that the blood of Jesus matters because it is incorruptible. Now, the word incorruptible, if you look it up, it means, of course, indestructible. It means everlasting. It means eternal, and we can say that what Jesus Christ accomplished by his blood and by his death, it is everlasting. It's not to be tampered with. It cannot be outdone. It cannot be destroyed. But then it says, another definition of the word corruptible is, it is not susceptible to corruption. If Jesus' blood is incorruptible, it's not susceptible to corruption. It means it's, it's trustworthy, trustworthy. And to me, that opens up another beautiful thing, and that is you cannot negotiate about the blood of Jesus. You cannot start saying, well, the blood of Jesus was shed for the sins of the world, but, and then add some other conditions. You, could, you, you cannot... You cannot discount it because it, it can't be corrupted. It can't be taken away from. It stands forever. It is settled. His blood was shed 2,000 years ago, and it is settled. Our account was settled a long time ago. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. Our account was settled. Then, then, then here's something important. The blood of Jesus matters because it is God's original plan. Now, it's said here in 1 Peter that Jesus' death, Jesus' coming in Bethlehem, his death on the cross, the shedding of Jesus' blood, was foreordained. It was not an afterthought. Let me give you some, there are many verses that talk about it. Let me just quote a couple. Revelation 13a says, The Lamb which is a picture of Jesus, was slain from the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1.21 says, Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So the fact that Christ came is not an afterthought. It's not like God created the world. He created humans. Humans sinned. 
And God said, oh my goodness, what I got myself into here. Adam and Eve, I thought so much. I had high hopes for them. I thought they were going to make it. And now they blew it. They walked away. They committed hamarshia, the Greek word for sin. They're missing the mark. They walked their own way. Oh, we got to try to fix this mess. Did we ever get ourselves into a mess? No, that, that never happened. You know, nowadays, have you noticed people like Ancestry.com? Are you like that? Have you heard about Ancestry.com and 23andMe and all that? You know, you can, this, time is, this time of year is a good time. You can just put a little saliva in a bottle and send it away, and they'll send something back to you, tell you who you are in case you didn't know. Oh, my goodness. Tina and I did that, you know. And, and she's a real purebred, but I'm a bit of a mutt myself. But I was surprised, actually. I'm not going to talk about that. But you, you can learn. Because, and they can tell you, you know, oh, maybe 500 years ago, such and such a person was somehow in your lineage. You know, people get all excited about that. So there's something in us that want to go back. We want to go back. That's why we go to antique shops. We just, if something is 200 years old, if this chair is 200 years old, it's like, Ooh, imagine who sat on this chair. You kind of, you feel the, you know, the, the, the history, the, here, the winds of history blowing. Well, so, so I like to go back. So if we really want to go back, where would we go? Well, most of us would say, if I really want to go back, I want to go to the book of Genesis. I mean, Genesis 1-1, that's way back there. You bypass Moses and David and Noah and Abraham, and you way back when. Come on now. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And some say, well, there's a gap in between there and, and you can speculate. But I'm talking about, oh, that, that's just recent times. Let's go back, way back. Everybody say, go way back. So I want to take you way back when. So where in the Bible would we go to get really way back when? Well, there's several places. But Genesis 1-1 is not one of them. If you're really going to go back Way back when. I'll give you one of them. Are you ready for this? Ephesians 1 and verse 4. That takes you way back in time. Because it says there, you better put this on the PowerPoint because it's so startling. I want everybody to see it. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Leave it up there for a moment because people need to ponder this. I mean, this is before any of the stuff happened, long before all the prophets came, long before Israel became a nation, long before the Ten Commandments, long before David and Bathsheba, long before Abraham and all the things he got. Way, way, way back there. What did God do? He chose us, you, in Christ, because the hymn there refers to the Christ. And you know what he determined? He just determined that you're going to stand before him holy and without blame. Hallelujah. Excuse me if I have a little bit of a freak out in the joyous sense here. That, that we would be before him holy and without blame in love. I mean, he just decided that. You say, well, didn't, didn't God know what was coming? Didn't he know how Adam and Eve would blow it? Did, did, oh, didn't he know how your husband and your, your wife and your cousin would blow it? Didn't he know that one of your children would get on drugs? Or didn't he know all that? He knew it all. And he says, I'm just determining that you're going to be before me and in Christ, blameless 
Hallelujah. And holy in love. Hallelujah. I tell you, that, that's good for your nerves. Some of you may just need to cancel your psychiatric appointment next week. Just because I said that. You say, my goodness, God determined. You wouldn't believe what happened last week. I mean, something really, oh, oh. Well, yeah, yeah, God knew that was coming. He loved you knowing everything that would ever happen, especially your worst. I mean, you hope that he knew all the good points. But he determined this. I, I get so excited about this. I, I think to understand anything, we have to start from the beginning. Now, see, that's how I approach it. I have a little video, one minute and 25 seconds. You can start playing it anytime you want it. Now you see, we, we see this all the time. You've seen me do many videos like this from many parts of the world. And, uh, but what it really excited me about here, because we had no basis for any large meeting in this city. There was no basis for it. There's just not Christians enough to go around. We, we, we just, I think that maybe one church had 100 people come on a Sunday. Maybe all the churches together would have five, 600 people. I mean, there wasn't any basis for any large meeting. So the people you see here are Buddhists. Primarily they're Buddhists, Buddhists, Buddhists. Some are also Muslims and some are Hindus. And I wanted to show this clip right here because this is literally, if you want to understand how Peter Youngren functions, I see these people in Ephesians 1.4. I'm not standing there thinking, oh, these are people so... Uh, they, they're far away from God. Oh, they're so, oh, they have a different religion. No, I see this. I see them. God's Spirit has drawn them out on that big football field where we're having this meeting. And, 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 and I see them, God determined that they should be holy and without blame before Him in love. He determined that about them just as much as He determined that about me and Tina and our friends and our family. And see, this gives me a tremendous confidence. <laughs> Hallelujah. I always feel I'm not trying to talk people into something that they don't want. I'm not trying to use some eloquence or some persuasive logic to talk them into salvation or talk them into some new religion. I'm just working with a God who had determined that they would be before him perfect 
perfect and holy without blame in love because of Jesus Christ. And I'm just casting And night after night, same thing. Thousands of people every night. I don't know if it was 20, 30,000 people that we gave. We gave everything we had to new believers there. But that's what motivates us. That's how we look at the world. That's how I look at our country. That's how I look at the whole world. Can, can you begin to look at your family like that? Would it be all right to look at everybody you run into at the Christmas party like that? I hear you shout amen and some of you nodding and grunting. Give a big clap, then I know you're still here, all right? Hallelujah. All right, let me give you more. The blood of Jesus is necessary, and it matters because it's necessary for our personal growth. See, it's like I just gave you the macro view, now I'm bringing it micro. I just kind of gave you a video showing all these Buddhists running to receive Jesus. But now let's bring it right home to where you are. So it says like this in Hebrews 9, 13. If the blood of bulls and goats, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? cleanse your conscience. I know we have talked about this. I find Pastor Nathan brings it up. I bring it up ever so often because it is so deep and it's so important. You know, what is our conscience? You can, you can look it up in a dictionary and I think it's pretty accurate. It's the inner guide. It's the inner voice that tells you which way to go. Tells you, is this a good decision? Is not that this a good decision? And so our conscience, the inner guide, can easily become contaminated. By what? By a sin consciousness. We are so accustomed to seeing everything and seeing ourselves and seeing others, you know, how sinful we are. And we see everything that way that we miss it. You see, see, let let me, before I talk about it a little bit more, in 2 Peter chapter 1, there is a list of godly characteristics I'm not going to go to I'll just give you the list. I think it's on the PowerPoint. The godly characteristics listed in the first chapter there is virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, and brotherly kindness. How many think that sounds like a bunch of good characteristics? How many feel like a person who exhibits these characteristics, you want him to hang around your house? Come on, talk to me right now. Virtue means a person of high morality, high inner strength. Knowledge is a person who has the smarts and the understanding, the wherewithal. Self-control is a person who's not going to go on a, on a spending binge and just blow everything. And that's, oh, you know, it's a person who's kind of, his emotions are, are mastered. Perseverance. This person doesn't quit right away, but just keeps on going. Godliness. They're they always seeing their life in the light of God, that God is blessing them, God is with me, so they have a godly attitude, brotherly or sisterly kindness. You know, we don't want to favor the men here. I, I mean, aren't these beautiful attributes? Come on now, look at your neighbor and says, this reminds me of you. Come on, tell them right now. I mean, and, and, and don't we want more and more of these? Come on. And so then it says, after this list, it says like this, in verse 9 in the same chapter, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. This is, this, is, this, is, this is like people say, well, 
now, now you're talking about different topics. You, you, you can't compare apples with oranges, people say. They, they, you know, these beautiful characteristics. That's one thing. But then just the blood of Jesus cleanses you from sin. Now, that's another thing. You, can't, you just can't mix them like that. Well, Simon Peter the Apostle mixes it. He says there's a connection. You may have thought the development of virtue and knowledge and self-control and, and perseverance, all these beautiful virtues, it's just something that you've got to work on. No. He says if, if you're lacking in these, if these things are not developing, if you're not personally growing, here's the problem. First of all, you have some kind of spiritual blindness. You don't see spiritual realities, who God is and who you are in the light of who God is. And then you have forgotten that you've been cleansed from your old sins. You say, how, how do you make that connection, Peter? Very simple. You see, when we don't live in an awareness, I don't mean just a mental, you know, yes, my sins are forgiven, praise the Lord. Okay, I know that. But I'm talking, it's alive to you. When that is not alive to you, you will absolutely be tainted with shame and guilt and negativity. And when you try to develop virtue and moral strength and grow in knowledge and self-control, you always have that heavy suitcase of guilt, of condemnation, dragging it with you. And that what, what tends to happen when we carry that suitcase is, that of course, we are very tough on ourselves. We condemn ourselves, but then in order to ease the burden of self-condemnation, we realize one way that I can get some temporary relief from my own condemnation and shame is I start shaming others. Come on now. So we start pointing out the faults of others. We start tearing others down because it gives us a temporary relief because we're carrying this guilt and shame ourselves. And at the same time, we say, oh, I want, to, I want to become a better person. I'm working on becoming a better person. I want to make the right choices. I want more self-control. I want perseverance. I, I've been a quitter my whole life, but I'm not going to be a quitter anymore. So we keep trying, but we fail because we thought that it was just a matter of, of mental strength to, to make ourselves do these things. But in fact, here's the beautiful biblical psychology. That once it's settled, your sins are forgiven. And you've been cleansed from sin consciousness. That inner guide is not tainted by all these pictures of things. Oh, I'm so ashamed. I'm glad people don't know. And you're always living in that realm. Oh, I hope nobody finds out. You can't make the right decisions. You're going to hold yourself back. You're going to believe less of yourself than what God believes of you. That's why what I'm teaching is someone say, oh, this is elementary teaching, you know, just that Jesus forgave our sins. No, this is, yes, it's elementary, but it's much more than elementary. It's the key to all of life. To really get a revelation, as it says in the book of Romans, blessed is the man, the woman that, whom, to whom God does not impute sin. Then it says in 2 Corinthians that God does not impute the sins of the world to the world. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 that he will be merciful to the unrighteous and their sins and their lawless deeds. God says, I will remember no more. Remember them no more. Imagine that. Do you remember wrongs done to you? God doesn't remember. You say, well, he's in God, he knows everything. Yeah, but he has chosen in his divinity not to remember that. Hallelujah. 
So maybe somebody said something bad about you. <laughs> and you'll remember that for 20 years. And you always bring it up to God. God, you know, Bertha here, she said such and such back in 1993. God is saying, what are you talking about, Bertha? I see her righteous through Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> it hasn't happened for a long time, but... <laughs> I don't know, two, three years ago, people always would meet me at the church door here. Now, I'm often back there shaking hands, and they would say to me, oh, Pastor Peter, can I talk to you? Oh, they say, I just came, you know, I've been talking bad about you. Which is, to me, a startling revelation. Why would anybody talk bad about a nice person like me? I, I, they, they must be in spiritual darkness somehow. I understand that. But, but it actually happens so often. You know, so I could kind of become susceptible to that. They would say to me, oh, 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 I've been talking bad. I've, I've been so wrong. And, 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 and you know, something in me wanted to say, tell me everything you said. <laughs> so I could kind of grovel in the details. And then, of course, I want to know, who did you say it to? And then, if they had told me that, I would want to say, well, go and tell those people everything you said. You know, I'm going to get revenge now. Isn't that human nature? Don't look at me like that right now. You're not going to charm me with that look right now. I know you're the same way. So something in me, I want to know the details. And to whom and where and when and when did they say it? And you better go back and make it right. I mean, you know, when you rip open a feather pillow and all the fillers blow, feathers blow in the wind, you can't get them back. Is that right? But you see, so I, I could be paranoid about that, but you know something? I realize that God doesn't remember whatever it was. And I'll say to them, well, just forget it. I said, forget it. Leave it, leave it, leave it. God doesn't even remember what you said. So you can forget it now too. But it hasn't happened for a long time, so I'm feeling happy. Now, if you must this morning do it, okay, I will be there, but I would prefer not. Okay, leave, turn, turn to your neighbor and say, use wisdom, use wisdom. Amen. So what I'm saying here, I got to get back to my point. Are you with me? Come on, come on. Give me a shout. Are you there? Are you there? And so, so what I'm saying is this, that the blood of Jesus, which was God's plan from the beginning, gives us an assurance in our inner guide, our inner voice, that we are totally acceptable. I say like this, the blood of Jesus matters because it is the, the, the currency, the legal tender in God's kingdom. Now, I actually brought a nice $100 bill with me. Yeah, it's nice. Could have gone for the 20, but I've decided to kind of raise your sights a little bit. Now, now, now Nathan wants to take a picture of me. Suddenly, he lifted his phone. He, I don't know what he's going to do with this. He's going to, okay, just check it. So, 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 to me, this is an illustration. You know, a $100 bill is a powerful thing. It can get you a lot of stuff. I'd rather, if I was an apple farmer, I'd rather go to the gas station with a $100 bill than $100 worth of apples trading for gasoline. Are you with me? But if we speak very technically, this piece of paper, however nicely it's done, and there's even a little, some kind of a plastic, you know, they make it more and more so that nobody can, you know, duplicate this very easily. We don't want any false currency around. But what makes this valuable, because it's actually a piece of paper with a little piece of, of, of see-through plastic, that's all it is, and some code imprinted on it, 
the printing cost of this, I would dare say, is a penny or less. The value of the paper is next to nothing. But it has symbolic value. It has every much symbolic value as if I came with $100 worth of gold carrying it in a bag and say, I have a gold nugget here worth $100. I want to shop. In fact, this, this has equal value. So you see, when we talk about the blood of Jesus Christ, as I talked about the other day, uh, the other Sunday, the blood of Jesus, when it says it speaks, it doesn't mean it has vocal cords. We're not talking about that, that, that Jesus carried a bucket of his blood all through the heavens. We're talking about something happened that is totally integrated with the blood of Jesus 2,000 years ago. It stands forever, and you can appeal to that, and you can say this is worth something. That blood, because it was the blood of Jesus, he was sinless. God ordained the blood of Jesus to once and for all take away every shame, every guilt, put it away, and and, and as it says in Ephesians 2.13, to give me access to God. It says, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. What Jesus' blood did, it made, it it caused a legal tender. I can say by the blood of Jesus, just like by a $100 bill, I can say I want to buy $100 worth of such and such. I can say by the blood of Jesus, I am welcome in God's presence. I cannot be refused. I have access by what Jesus did. Here's something else. We have peace. Peace. Colossians 1.20, by him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. You know, peace. It's what people are looking for. People ask me, what do you think about the cannabis? <laughs> we don't have cannabis stores in Ontario yet. I was in New Brunswick. I told you, and Pastor Sean Annis took me to a cannabis store. I couldn't believe it, just right there, right beside Giant Tiger or something. They were just lining up there. And I'm not going to stand and have opinions and everything, but I know in general, people do things to get peace. And I hear it, it gives you peace. And maybe needing to get drunk gives you peace. Don't look at me like that. I'm saying it. there's all kinds of things that can give you peace. Go, go to the movies can give you peace. Oh, I just need to get away. I need to get away for two hours. Life is so stressed. I got to go. Just give me some funny movie with cartoons and, 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 and things running around so I can just forget everything. Well, hey, I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just saying we have a peace. I have peace. Hallelujah. I have peace of mind. Everything is all right. Everything is going to be all right because the blood of Jesus has purchased peace to me. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is accessible to me by the blood of Jesus that he shed. I have no reason to live in fear because his blood has purchased me peace. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, give Jesus praise for that. 
Give Jesus praise for that. I'm still appealing to the blood that was shed 2,000 years ago. I'm saying that blood still avails. The blood of Jesus stands. It was the plan from the beginning, from before the beginning. And it stands forever. And I'm going to keep sprinkling that on my heart. Doesn't mean that literally I take a bucket of blood and sprinkle myself. No, I sprinkle it by faith on my heart. My conscience, my my inner man is sprinkled by it. When I feel those negative, contrary voices of of condemnation and shame coming at you or me, then I say, I I, by faith sprinkle my conscience with what Jesus Christ did, his blood, and I'm free. I think I already quoted it. It says, 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes we were healed. Hallelujah. What a wonderful God we have. Lift up your hand right now. So healing, access, is ours through the blood of Jesus. Musicians, come on up here and join me. We worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Lord Jesus. Let's just take a moment and lift our hands and give God thanks right now. God is a good God. God is not against you. God is for you. Oh, long before anything was, there was God. Before the world, the universe came into being, there was God. And you were there, holy and without blame, perfect before him in love because of Jesus Christ. This is so beautiful. Let's just lift our hands and worship Jesus right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I just felt in my heart I would take two or three minutes and just minister healing to you. God loves you so very much. God loves you so much. Over there in Myanmar now, you know. One night, what happened? Well, so many things happened. Some of them are on Facebook, some are not. But, you know, Myanmar used to be a military dictatorship. To a large degree, it still is. The military is behind the scenes, running everything. So there's a lot of things associated with the military. One night, God began to heal soldiers. Buddhist soldiers. I don't know what rotten things they had done maybe in their life, but God was healing them. <laughs> and it was so, you know, I mean, I like stories that have a little humor in them. Do you like that stories, you know? So, so, so there was one man, he couldn't walk. He, he couldn't walk. He was declared a handicapped person, Buddhist man, maybe 55. He'd been a soldier. And he was just running back and forth. So I asked Mark Reitzma, who was traveling with me there and was filming, I said, find out where that man lives. I just want to find out there was something more to that soldier. So we found out that 13 years ago, he had stepped on a landmine. Ooh. And then he had become incapacitated. And now he was walking like a 20-year-old. He was jumping like a 20-year-old. And he was telling all this. But then he said... He said to Mark, he said, this is just now. He said, I just got a little worried. He said, because, you know, I was so badly damaged and incapacitated that the army gave me a house and a pension. So he said, I don't know. I hope they're not going to take my house and my pension. I said, well, I said, we're not going to give your name publicly. So we just kind of believe God to you. You'll stay in the house. How many, how many believe him for me can stay in the house? I don't want him to get healed. But, you know, it's funny how people think because the healing was so real to him. Isn't that beautiful how God shows himself alive? To Buddhist friends like that? Oh, he's the same for you. Let's all stand together right now. Let's all stand up all over this room. God is so good. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Let's lift our hand and just sing it once. 